Hey everyone listening, this is Dave Buck with our third podcast for MagicCon. If you have not listened to our first two podcasts and are interested, they can be found at www.magic-con.org. On the website, you can also find all the latest information about MagicCon, our first conference scheduled for March 18th through 21st in San Diego, California. Today, I have someone very special on the line. He's one of the finest intellects in magic and probably one of the smartest people I know. Please welcome Michael Weber. Now, Michael, we've been talking about MagicCon for a few months now, and you've given us some wonderful feedback and suggestions. However, for everyone listening, what potential do you see in MagicCon? My hope is that it's a focus on thinking and performance and the goal of trying to make magic something individual instead of cookie cutter and me too. You know, if a bunch of guys have a nice touch on Triumph, I think that's interesting. But if someone has an effect that's different from Triumph that we've never seen before, to me, that's much more interesting. Now, finding your individuality is incredibly challenging and something an artist will continue to finesse for the rest of their life. But how will you contribute, particularly to the younger generation just starting out or those unfamiliar with this concept, in order to convey the importance of being unique, especially in performance? I think it's important most of all to tell the truth and to focus on the individuals, not the idea of big M magic at large, but really look at the ideas and the opportunities that are in the room and then push the folks who are the closest to ready to making whatever that next step or big breakthrough is. And that can be incredibly rewarding for anyone willing to take that step, and it has to be inspiring for you or any of the presenters to see it happen. However, even as professionals, we're all learning. There is always room to improve and grow. What do you want to come away with from MagicCon? I already know that uh, coming away from MagicCon, the, the list of presenters that are going to be there are all people who are friends that I, uh, I enjoy spending time with them, and I really respect them as people and magicians. So... That alone is going to be a, enough of a quality time for me. And then if I get a chance to meet a couple of other folks who share my passion for magic, so much the better. Can you tease us or give us a little hint to what you might be talking about at MagicCon? Uh, what I'm going to talk about is a secret. And <laughs> it will be a bit about secrets. But the promise I can make you is that uh, what I discuss at MagicCon are secrets that will be shared once and once only. So to move along, let's change the subject a little bit, and I want to talk to you now about some of your other interests and passions other than magic. What influences do you get from other art forms, and how can those be brought to the table at MagicCon and hopefully inspire others? For me, magic is, is all about storytelling and problem solving. You know, the magician is someone who does not have the rules of the way the world works, as impositions to solving his problem. He can make an object vanish or divide or transform or transpose. And that stuff is just science outside the lab unless you wrap it in some sort of story that people care about. So for me, anything that touches on storytelling or problem solving, whether that's engineering or wood turning or filmmaking or design or architecture, whatever that is, I'm always interested in those other fields in terms of what they do in terms of solving a problem or telling a story. Can you give an example of how one might use unrelated art forms to magic for inspiration? Again, it's, it's, uh, I really think a useful thing for folks to do is find out what really speaks to them. And for me, you know, 
st- storytelling is a big part of it, but there's lots and lots of different forms of telling a story. So there's a really great thing folks can look up online called flash fiction or nanofiction. And these are people that have written stories that are only 55 words long. And usually there's a little bit of a surprise at the end since it's fiction. And 99% of it sucks, but that 1% that's, it, that's worth the treasure hunt is really fantastic. Because in 55 words, someone establishes the scene and establishes the characters and creates some sort of a conflict that we care about and then resolves it in some way that's very satisfying in a, in a storytelling form. And I remember you were, when we were talking earlier, you were asking if there was any homework people could do before coming to MagicCon that would be worthwhile. I made a little laundry list of some books and some films and then a specific homework uh, assignment. So the specific homework assignment is, uh, I will have something special for anyone who comes up to me and has their own personal list of 10 effects or stories that interest them. But what's important is that these be new and fresh and important to them. So if they come up to me and say, you know, what really matters to me is the story of the drunken magician who shuffles half his cards face up into half his cards face down, now you've only got nine on your list because that's not interesting and that's not new and that problem has been solved. So um, it's really hard to come up with a list of 10 things that are new and fresh It'd be interesting to see one new item that's interesting and fresh. But if you say one, you're not going to come up with one. And if you say ten, maybe you'll come up with one. So I think ten is a number to shoot for. And then in terms of laundry lists and things to think about, um, it, it really is important to gain access to information wherever that may be. Um, and a lot of it just happens to be in books. Um, and some really useful books to think about um, for us as human beings in our relationship to wonder and making people care about things. One of them is a book by a guy named Stuart Brand, B-R-A-N-D, called The Clock of the Long Now. And you only have to read the first chapter of that book to really have your mind um, detonated inside your skull. And then it just gets better from there. Uh, a great thing to do as a homework assignment before you come to MagicCon is to check the schedule and then go to a local art museum, and it can even be a regional one. But go to an art museum and walk through a gallery of the art, and then after you have walked through it, take a guided tour with a docent or someone who will then explain the art to you and see if there isn't um, an expansion in your understanding or the way you think about that art after you've had someone that really understands it talk to you about it versus just looking at it and thinking we understand it on the first surface. Uh, a really great book in terms of telling a story that is, is magical and has nothing to do with magic is a little book called The Red Notebook by Paul Oster. If you're an online person and with, with magic becoming something that is now so virtualized and digitized and spread far and wide so quickly, there's an excellent book called Content by Cory Doctorow. And he actually has made his book available for free in PDF format online. So my recommendation is to find it for free online, download it, and then read it on a handheld device. Um, that would be a very useful uh, and and um, meaningful homework assignment. Uh, in terms of content, again, there's another really great book that came out about a year and a half ago called The Pirate's Dilemma by Matt Mason, M-A-S-O-N. 
And it again is this notion of once we've come up with something and it gets put online, how does that change the, our relationship or ownership of it? And I think with uh, what the Theory 11 and Dan and Dave guys are doing, those are both really important things to think about. And anyone who's interested in inventing magic, even or especially if you never intend on selling it or widely disseminating it, you've got to read books like that or at least get access to that information. Um, in fact, if you get stuff in a PDF format which is in text form and not in... Uh, not a graphic of the page, but the actual text. There's lots of readers. There's even a reader available now for the iPhone. So that uh, it, it does sound like Hal from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey is reading to you, but over time that's going to get better. Um, but you can actually have these books read to you if you have some giant um, aversion to actually interacting with text. I think another really useful form for learning is watching documentaries. And uh, it's... It's important that documentaries, good documentaries, are storytelling in addition to the fact that they're trying to convey some sort of information and point of view. And uh, I've been watching some uh, documentaries on architects recently, one on Frank Gehry and another one on I.M. Pei, that are just fantastic. Really, really great filmmaking, great storytelling, interesting people, interesting to hear their points of views as creators and designers and inventors and people who make things that they leave in the world that other human beings go and interact with. There was a really great documentary that came out about a year and a half ago on the font type Helvetica um, that uh, is terrific because it's so surprising. I'm a font pig and I've got hard drives full of fonts and I care about that stuff. But um, in particular, if you don't think a documentary about a, a single font or type style could be interesting, it's really worth searching that out to, uh, to broaden the way you think. Um, because I believe that in a very short period of time, uh, there will be a class of human beings, uh, a, a group of us who choose to walk around with a, a small video camera on us 24 hours a day uh, that's on all the time, that's streaming all that information to uh, uh, a worldwide web hard drive so that at some point in the not-too-distant future, you will be able to go have the POV experience of these people on any day of the week at any point in their experience. You'll be able to see and hear what they saw. And if that's the case, that's going to change... Um, what's worth watching and magic is going to be competing for what's worth watching uh... so there's a really good book called world without secrets by a guy named richard hunter that came out uh, a few years ago five or six years ago uh... which is worthy of reading and then the last thing i'd say is uh... there's a very good youtube clip of a a talk i heard live a couple of years ago by a guy named kevin kelly who was one of the founders and is now one of the managing editors of wired magazine and if you do a, a search on YouTube for Web 3.0, W-E-B 3.0, he talks about the very short period of time that brought us to being the online uh, global community that we are now and how quickly what we do and what we are is going to double in terms of capacity and capability and what's going to have to happen in the, in the minds uh, us as as users and people interacting on this this web that he calls the one uh, in a very 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 near future from now and a lot of it has to do with there being no information that isn't instantly available to anyone anywhere anytime 
and that and if what you've got to offer is based upon a secret that the other guy in the room doesn't know you've really got to think about this stuff very carefully what a great list for inspiration thank you michael now speaking of technology can you talk a little bit about its role in magic today and what it might bring in the future and whether you see this as beneficial or harmful I believe and have always believed and will always believe, uh, subject some sort of big mental shift, that technology is a tool, that they're just tools. So the most advanced computer does not negate the power of the pencil. Technology will have a lot to do with changing how, when, and where our audience see us, as I mentioned with this first-person POV on the chip. But the question is still going to remain, what will matter? You know, we're, we're still going to have to be telling a story that matters, whether it's with a thread or a rubber band or a, a hidden mini hard drive. So more than ever with technology, presentation is going to play a vital role in covering up the aspect that the science behind the technology can provide a simple and logical excuse for the method. There's nothing online right now that we go spend time looking at or interacting with that in some way doesn't speak to us because that's why we go there. So the question is, will your personal form of mystery entertainment speak louder than the next massive multiplayer online game? And that's why it's so great doing for a card trick, you know, standing right next to someone, because they're very unlikely wow. to mouse over and click onto someone different. Imagine if, imagine if our human attention span standing face to face next to each other was as short as our online attention span. The reason a human being is able to fool another human being is because we have carefully assessed what they know and how they think, and then we short-circuit that process. So the great news is, I know if the only stuff you know, if the only information you have about a subject is what you got on Wikipedia or what you can find on Google in the next 15 seconds... All I need is something that's neither of those two places. And I can change your worldview. And that's what MagicCon is. <laughs> MagicCon is going to be a bunch of people showing up, knowing everything there is to know about magic, and then getting their world rocked. Because it's really great to get fooled by something you didn't know existed. Like the first time you see the Gilbreth Principle, you think, how did that happen? I really shuffled those cards. And then when someone explains it to you, you think, boy, that secret is almost more magical than the effect you performed with it. But then the real art is to figure out that your buddy knows the Gilbreth Principle and to come up with a way of concealing that, that he cares about, so that you're fooling him with something that he knows. And yes, that can become a little bit insular and, and you know, a little bit too inside, but... The punchline is always something that's compelling and mysterious and that matters to your audience, whether that's an audience of 5,000 or 5 million or one. What do you think about the future of magic? Let's just throw a number out there and say, what do you foresee 200 years from now? 200 years is long. I mean, all you have to do is go watch that Kevin Kelly Web 3.0, and I got to tell you, five years is too far off to make a good guess. If you told me 20 years ago, that there's going to be this community of guys that are, that are you know, making tens of thousands of dollars teaching these kind of flair um, slights online, I'd say, wow, really? <laughs> these, uh, 
these jacked up uh, Charlier cuts are going to be something that people are going to be plopping all that money down for. So it's, I look forward to the surprise. Well, here's what I know for sure about, about the future, regardless of technology and no matter what happens with, with the magic. That art is going to survive. That wonder will survive. That the, the means and the physical manifestation of what that is is, is what's going to change. And the fact that cards were around at the time of Scott and that they're still around now is just a happy accident. Uh, you know, lots of great magic is gone because the objects have become obsolete, but the classic stories and the classic effects live on. So all I know is that 200 years from now, people are still going to have a place in their lives where they hunger for not understanding. And the more we become part of this online community of all information about everything all the time, there is going to be a deep and meaningful pleasure in those rare moments of not knowing.